morning. <coughs> I want to bring a couple of brief thoughts tonight. Uh, my kids get nervous when I say we're going to have a short service because for whatever reason, sometimes those turn into the long ones. Uh, hopefully that won't be the case tonight. But uh, Brother Tully was here for the men's advance this last weekend, we, this last few days, and we've been... Uh, I've been rejoicing, and it's been a great time spent together with him. He mentioned uh, a mutual friend of ours, a mutual friend of mine down in Florida, in Tampa, Florida, Dr. Schaefer, who uh, was a pastor down there in Tampa, Florida, and started uh, a couple children's homes. One was known as the Faith Children's Home. The other one was known as the Florida Children's Home. And uh, sweet, sweet folks back in the 70s and 80s and fought a lot of legal battles uh, trying to have Christian uh, children's homes and paved the way for a lot of the Christian children's homes today all around the country and set some precedences in the Supreme Court to allow a lot of those types of ministries to function in this day and age. And uh, they had a fellow that ran, uh, he and his wife ran the children's home, and everybody just called him Mom and Dad McGowan. And when they came to our church, they'd bring a big Greyhound bus and bring 30 or 40 uh, kids from the home, and they put them up in the choir. And I can still picture in my mind's eye when I was a young man about Jonathan's age, Dad McGowan getting up, and he'd sing these songs and the choir behind him. And these kids had bright faces, and uh, their eyes were lit up. And, uh, boy, when they sang, you could tell they were singing from their hearts. And uh, I'll never forget thinking, that as he would uh, occasionally ask one of them to walk up to the pulpit and give a testimony of how they came to the children's home, what they had been through. And boy, some of it just heartbreaking. And then to see the change that God made in their lives. What an amazing thing it was. As a little kid, I used to sit there. and I mean, these kids were so excited about what God had done for them, I wanted to go live at the home. And uh, my sister and I, every time they came through, we always wanted to go, if, if uh, Dad and Mom McGowan were going to, back to the bus to spend time with the, the children's home kids. A lot of times, my mom and dad, we'd ask my mom and dad, hey, can we go with mom and dad McGowan? We want to go with the kids. And we'd hang around with them a lot and just the excitement and the joy that was there. It's a miracle how God can take something that's broken and put it back together, isn't it? And uh, the lives that he, he has touched. The truth of the matter is every one of us sitting here tonight at one point had a broken life, didn't we? And some more broken than others, perhaps in, in the way the world would look at things, but all of us broken. All of us were on our way to hell, and God came and saved us. And, uh, boy, what a miracle that was the day that happened. We always say, I, I say that phrase often, I'm much better than I deserve. And Brother Harold came back before the service, and he said, But preacher, we're a child of the king, and I got to thinking on that. And it brought to mind that, that story of the children's home, the child of the king, because that was one of the songs they would sing years ago. And um, I, I don't, I'm coughing a lot, and I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to try to sing this one that they used to sing all the time, because I love it. He, he got me thinking on that, Brother Harold. I, got, I about got excited down here in the front. Uh, we're a child of the king. What an amazing thought. Here's what these young people would sing. They'd come to our church. Once I was clothed in the rags of my sin, wretched and poor, lost and lonely 
But with wondrous compassion, the King of all kings, in pity and love, took me under his wings. Oh, yes, oh, yes, I'm a child of the King. His royal blood now flows in my veins. And I, who was wretched and poor, now can sing, Praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the King. Now I'm a child with a heavenly home. My Holy Father has made me His own. And I'm cleansed by His blood, and I'm clothed in His love. And someday I'll sing with the angels above. Oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the King. His royal blood now flows in my veins. And I, who was wretched and poor, now can sing. Praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the King. Isn't that good? I'm going to tell you, that ought to excite even the Pentecostal or Presbyterian or Catholic, one of these guys, I'll tell you. It ought to, it ought to excite a Baptist, amen? Boy, I'll tell you what, we were lost and undone. And uh, boy, he had to reach pretty far down for some of us, didn't he? And I'm thankful, so thankful that that day he made me a child of the King. The Bible says we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And all the, the resources of the King of all kings are at our disposal. It's amazing how we live such defeated lives sometimes, knowing that we're a child of the King. And I think perhaps it's because we, we forget, don't we, sometimes. So, Brother Harold, thanks for that thought. Man, I got we could almost preach on that one tonight. That one got me excited. Child of the King, amen. And praise the Lord for it. Exodus chapter 34 tonight. And Brother Keith, thanks for the music tonight. Boy, that was a blessing. I don't know about you all. I, before the service ever started, I was ready to go charge my batteries and ready to go. Somebody said, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. And uh, I like that. We read this morning and spent some time dealing with the idea of the children of Israel who, while Moses was up on Mount Sinai with God, getting some things that God wanted for them to know, they committed a grave sin and they uh, made an idol and worshipped it. And we heard about all that this morning. As we get to chapter number 34, uh, understand that Moses has broken the tablets that God gave him. He took the calf and he ground it and threw it into the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. <clears throat> we get to verse, uh, chapter number 34, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. 
and you could almost hear God. You know, it, you got to understand that uh, Moses came to God this morning, and or in this passage we talked about this morning, and God was ready to, to kill the nation of Israel, wasn't He? And I know God knows His own heart and His own mind. But I wonder, uh, even this afternoon I thought this thought, I wonder what would have happened if God had told Moses, move out of the way, leave me alone, let me destroy this people and I'll raise up a great nation out of you. I wonder what would have happened if Moses would have said, okay. I wonder what would have happened. Moses stands between God and the nation of Israel and Causes God to repent. The Bible says later in the chapter he repented of it. He changed his mind. We get to verse uh, chapter 34. And you can almost hear God in this first verse as he's talking to Moses. He said, I want you to hew out some tablets. The ones that you broke. You know, the ones I wrote on that you broke. You can almost hear him almost passing blame to Moses for it. In verse number 2. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto, the Mount, unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me at the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us for thine inheritance. Father, we come to you and I pray that you'll bless the message tonight and speak to our hearts. Lord, use it. The service has already been... A very sweet time of singing and praising you. And Lord, the songs that we sing so often that cause our hearts to lift you up. Now we ask that you would allow your word to be exalted and that you would allow the Holy Spirit to use it as he would see fit and effectively in our hearts. Lord, we don't come to church on Sunday night just to fill a time slot or to do our Christian duty. But Lord, we come to hear from you. And I ask that you would do a work of stirring in our hearts. Lord, use the message tonight to be something that will be a help to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We find here that God comes before Moses in verse number 5 and verse number 6. And God begins to brag on himself, so to speak. And by the way, God's allowed to do that, isn't he? He's the only one allowed to do it. But he starts bragging about himself. He starts telling Moses all of the greatness of him. And verse number 6, and by the way, it would be a lot better if we would start talking about the greatness of God rather than making Him have to do it Himself. Amen. We would lift Him up. And verse number 6, and the Lord passed by before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Now understand what they've just come from. 
Moses just came down to a mess of people, a multitude that were supposed to be his children, God's chosen people that had taken and cast gold into a fire. And according to Aaron, a calf just popped out. They began to worship it and they began to mix the altar and the time of sacrifice to the Lord with idolatrous things. And boy, what an insult to the Lord. Could you imagine the pain and the hurt that he must have had? And so he goes on to tell Moses and to remind Moses of all that he had just done. And he says, the Lord God merciful and gracious, and aren't we glad for him being merciful and gracious tonight? Because the truth of the matter is, we were a stiff-necked and rebellious people before we got saved. He was merciful and gracious to you and I. He's long-suffering, and aren't we glad tonight that God is long-suffering? And I'm glad that not even before we were saved, but even after we're saved, that He's long-suffering. Amen? Because the truth is, we so often fail Him even in the Christian life. He goes on to say that He is abundant in goodness and truth. This is God speaking of Himself. You want to know what God is like? If you open the pages of Scripture, He tells you a lot about what He's like, doesn't He? By the time we get to see Him for the first time face to face, we ought to be so familiar with Him. He's already one that we love. He goes on to say in verse number 7, keeping mercy for thousands. He said, Moses, all these people. He said, I just showed mercy to them. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he intercedes on Israel's behalf. As he says, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. Why would he pray something like this? Because in chapter 33, we find that God said, I want you to take the tabernacle and move it outside the camp. I I don't even want to be among the people. They're a stiff-necked people, Moses. And while I will stay my hand of judgment from them, I don't even want to be in their midst right now. Moses goes to God on the behalf of the nation of Israel he says, I pray thee go among us. There are times that we feel away from the Lord or that perhaps the Lord is away from us because of our hard-heartedness or stiff-neckedness perhaps. There are times we ought to pray and say, Lord, just come among us. Come among us. We're in such a need. He says, for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for thine inheritance. I can almost see Moses standing there before God as God says, Moses, I'm merciful. I have abundant mercy. I have forgiven thousands. I've overlooked their iniquities. And Moses then says, okay, God, if that's the way you are, then I want you to overlook ours. I want you to have mercy on us. We're a stiff-necked people, God. We know that. But we want you among us. And I love the prayer of Moses here. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant, verse number 10, before all thy people, and I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. 
All the people among which thou art uh, shall see the work of the Lord, which is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. And the word terrible here not meaning a, a bad thing, but meaning something that is astounding, something very uh, magnanimous, very, very large, very uh, unexplainable, if you will. Observe thou that that which I command thee this day, behold, I will drive out before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take ye to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He goes through and he begins to tell Moses many of these things. As we get down to verse number 29, we find that it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in Moses' hand. And by the way, let's back up to verse 28 for a minute and see this. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time. And he did neither eat bread nor drink water. And by the way, there are times when we get in the presence of God that we don't think about those things. They're, they're not important to us anymore. It's not that Moses made a distinct effort to fast. He was just in the presence of God. There were far more important things to be doing at that point than eating and drinking. We find in verse number eight, verse number 28 that he did neither eat nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant and the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them, and afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them a commandment, all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. And understand that when Moses came down off of the mountain with God, the Bible says here that his face shone. Now there are billions of dollars spent every year for cosmetics that cause women to go to the store and spend a lot of money to make their skin shine. And when we talk about Moses' skin shining, we're not just saying that he had a good complexion or that there was something different in the skin texture or the tone of the skin or the color of the skin or the shimmering of the skin. But there was something that was resting on Moses that we can only describe as the Shekinah glory of God. He had been such in God's presence as the Bible said, and we were talking there in verse number 6 and 7, that he was before the Lord in the cloud, that his face did shine. And I want to talk a little bit about this because Moses came down from the mountain to the people because the people in the valley were in great darkness and they needed a great light, did they not? They needed something that would lead them from their darkness. Hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, and a very familiar passage of scriptures. We're dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, and Christ is teaching here. And he gets to an area, we call them the similitudes. In other words, he says, you're like these things. And, 
as we get to verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 5, the Bible says ye, and I want you to know that the, uh, note the word ye here, and if you have a pen or a pencil, you might want to underline that, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Then I want you to notice verse 14. Once again, we have at the very beginning of the verse, Ye, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill and cannot, cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse number 16, let, and if you're in the habit of underlining, underline your, let your light so shine before men that ye may see their good, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What is Christ saying here? He's saying that there's a dark world that we're commissioned to go into. And God has given us great light, has he not? John said this of Christ in 1 John chapter number 1, In him is no darkness at all. Light is not the absence of darkness, or rather darkness is the absence of light. And the fact that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, if we are to be the lights of the world, there's only one source that we can get light from, and that is from the Lord Jesus Christ. We find here that Moses was bringing light to a dark people and he's in essence doing the same responsibility in those days that you and I have today. And that is that there be something that we have to offer to a lost and a dying world in a, a world that is full of darkness to be quite frank with you. It was, it's almost of epic proportions, the epidemic uh, proportions at this point as we open up our newspapers on Saturday mornings and we just expect to see that there's another mass shooting that's taken place around our country. Life is not sacred anymore. To pick up the papers and read of the violence that's going on around our country and people who do not have any, any thought for their man, their, their fellow man or someone else that disagrees with the way that they look at things. We pick up our papers and we find men who are getting up, religious men, who are denying the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're denying the principles of, of marriage in Scripture. And they're denying the principles of holy living from Scripture. And they're standing in pulpits all across the country. And they're letting people know in their churches, it's okay that you have sin in your life. And darkness is creeping in everywhere we look. And they're in need of some light. I find two sources of light that I believe every Christian ought to have. We'll see that really they're one and the same, but there are two different places that we receive light. The Bible talks about it here as we get to Exodus chapter number 34. That Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights with God in his presence. We talked a little bit about that this morning. One of the great things that we need if before we go into a lost and dying world and something that a lot of times is missed in our churches when we talk about soul winning and telling others about Christ, we put very little emphasis on the walking with God. We put very little emphasis on having the power of God in our service. Alexander McLaren, I believe it was in 1905 if I remember correctly, at a Baptist World Congress, got up and made this statement. He said, power for service is second 
to the Christian life. He said, powerful personal holiness with God is first. We have a relationship and a walk with Almighty God Himself. As we sing tonight, we're a child of the King. We get the privilege that Old Testament saints didn't have, and that is we get to walk into the Holy of Holies in a moment's notice and stand before the throne of God and say, Father, boy, isn't that something? That's a miracle, isn't it? We get to spend all the time in God's presence that we want to. And God is never too busy. Aren't you glad of that tonight? I don't, there were times when I was working with my dad, and my dad was pastoring in, in Florida at the church down there, and I was on staff with him. And there were times that he was so busy, I had to set an appointment to go and meet with him. And, and there were times that I'd be like, hey, Dad, do you have time right now? I need to come see you about something. And he'd be like, well, is it, is it something with the church? And I'd say, yes, sir. He'd say, well, let's, let's do it uh, this afternoon at 3.30. How about that? And uh, I'd have to set time to go see my dad. I'm thankful as my dad, he never did that to me. But as an employer, an employee relationship, sometimes we had to do that. But you know that there's a, there's a truth in this that I love, and it ought to excite you and I. Because there's not one time that we ever come to our Heavenly Father and say, Father, can I spend a little bit of time with you? And He says, uh, you know what, I, I've got a couple meetings I need to take care of first. And, and if you'll just give me a little bit of time, I'll, I'll you know, we can come to God any time we want. And spend it with Him. That's exciting to me. But you know what? With that great privilege, sometimes comes great apathy. Because it's so easy to come to God, I feel like sometimes we take it for granted. And we say, you know what? I can come to Him anytime, so I don't need to right now. But oh, what it would be like to have a desire to walk with Him daily. To have His presence in our life daily. To spend 40 days and 40 nights with Him. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? We just had a couple days of a men's advance. Back in the spring, we had a men's camp, men and son camp out, men and boys camp out. Because we wanted to go and spend a little bit of time just fellowshipping together. And we just spent a few days. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could spend 40 days and 40 nights with God in His presence? That'd be, that'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be wonderful if a church could say, you know what, we want to have revival services every night for 40 days and during the days even. We want to have services so that we can have preaching and be in the presence of God and, and just rejoice in what God is doing and have a song service like we had tonight. And you market something like that and you begin to tell people about that and they say, Brother Greg, 40 days and 40 nights, isn't that a little bit long for a revival service? Boy, could you imagine having the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights? And the Bible says when he came down off the mountain, his face shone. And I want you to see this as we get to verse chapter number 35. And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days ye shall work. And he goes through and he begins to tell them all the things that God had told them. And then I want you to notice here as we get to, uh, let's see if I can get to the right place here. As we get to, uh, <laughs> I have lost it. Give me a moment. I should have wrote it down earlier. Well, I'm going to let you read it tonight and find it for me. How about that? 
But it makes the statement that when Moses goes into God again, that he takes the veil off. It's not needed anymore. And can I tell you this? There, there's not to be anything that comes between God and us. He comes into the presence of God and that veil that he had to wear before the children of Israel, he takes it off. But when he stood in front of the children of Israel, he had to put it back on again. Because the more time that he spent with God, the more that his skin began to shine. And by the way, can I tell you this? The more we spend in the presence of God, the more our face begins to shine. I'm not talking about externally. I'm talking about people can begin to see the joy of the Lord in us. Charles uh, Weigel, who was known for writing the wonderful song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus, was traveling all around the world, around the country preaching the gospel as an evangelist and singing in revival meetings. And he had an opportunity to go out to Pasadena, California one time where they have the Rose Bowl Parade and have all the world-famous rose gardens out there that are so beautiful. He had never been there before, but he had heard of these beautiful and wonderful rose gardens. And at an afternoon of time that they had a rest between services, he thought, I'm going to go and I want to see some of these rose gardens. He went and spent the afternoon perusing through and seeing the beauty and smelling the fragrance. And as he went to the meeting that night, he walked in and several people began to ask him, he said, how did you like the gardens? And at first he thought maybe someone had followed him or had seen him there and he began to inquire as to why they knew the the things that he had done that afternoon. And they said, well, it's quite simple. They said, the fragrance of the roses still lingers on you. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of us that the presence of God still lingers on us. That we've been so close in walking with Him that it, it, it was easy to determine that we had been with Jesus. It was said of the disciples from time to time as people would come to them, they took note that they had been with Jesus. Peter standing outside as Jesus was being tried before Pilate as he's getting ready to go to the cross. People accuse Peter of being one of them. And he denies it. But the people say, Thy speech bereath thee. Peter, you can't deny it. You've been around him too much. There are times that we're around folks so long that people start thinking we act like them. I remember years ago we had a guy in our church. He's a dear friend of mine. He was on staff. His name is Wendell Reynolds. And he had two boys, Tim and Matt, cute little fellas. Now they're uh, old and grown and got wives and married. And But when they were kids, they were cute little kids. And Brother Wendell worked on staff for us and was a janitor at the church and always had a big key ring that had so many keys he couldn't put them in his pocket. And he, had a, he put a hook, uh, one of those spring hooks, on his belt clip, and he clipped his keys on his belt clip. And you could always tell where Brother Wendell was because you could hear him coming. The keys would sit there and jingle on the side of him. And I remember watching as Matt and Tim, as they got up to be about five and six and seven years old, I'd watch them come to church. And they, they, they came to church one night, and each of them had one of those little springy clips on the side of their belt with three or four keys on them that didn't go to anything. But they wanted to be like Dad. They wanted to look like him. They wanted to act like him. They wanted to walk like him and talk like him. And he was their hero. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be so close to God that we begin to look like God and smell like God and act like God and have the mind of God. 
that there would be a light that would shine out into this dark world. We find that we gain light to be the light of the world when we are in God's presence. And I want you to notice also, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And if you will, turn with me to verse number... Uh, well, let's, let's go back to verse number 129. Or start at 129. Oh, I'm sorry, got the wrong verse. Uh, back up to verse 105. Excuse me, that's where I was looking for. I turned to the wrong page. Psalm 119. And I want you to look with me at verse number 105. The Bible says... Thy word is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now I said at the beginning there are two things that we get light from that I see in Scripture. One of them is in the presence of God. The other one is in the presence of His Word. But I also made this statement. They really are one and the same, are they not? John chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, In the beginning was the... Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You want to spend time in the presence of God, you can do no better many times than to spend it right here in this book. To take this book and to lay it before us and say, Lord, I want you to illuminate me. I want you to put some light in my heart. That's why at the beginning of Psalm 119, the psalmist said in verse number 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to thy word. He said, with my whole heart have I sought thee. What was he talking about? He's saying, Lord, I desired your word. I desired you. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. And verse number 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Why? Because it's a light. It's a light. We've got a responsibility that Moses had. And that is to go down to the valley where the darkness is and to be a light. God told us very clearly, Christ told us very clearly, that we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're not to partake in the same things. We're not to go alongside of the world and try to act like them and be like them. And these ministries that go around and say, well, you've got to be like them to win them. They're not following a biblical principle in doing that. My Bible actually says to come out from among them and be ye separate. doesn't mean you have to have an arrogance. But we're not to be a part of what they're doing. Why? Because we're light. And in us ought be no darkness. There's no darkness in Christ. The light that He gives, there's no darkness at all in it. We've got a great responsibility. There's a lot of theology in a little song that we sang in school. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And I'll tell you this, I think we do a disservice when we think of it as a little light. I think we ought to let the light of the Lord Jesus Christ shed abroad abundantly in our hearts. And then to be a light that is not just a little candle in the room that gives light to all the room, but it's a light that is put up on a mountaintop. A light that when you walk in amongst the darkness, it's so brilliant that you almost have to take a veil and cover it. 
Oh, that we would be a light to the world. You say, Brother Greg, how can I be a light to the world? Well, we've got to have it first, don't we? Do we let the light die out sometimes? Do we allow sin, perhaps, to cause it to diminish, to be hidden, to be quenched? We are to be a light to this world. If somebody sees us, there ought to be something different. And I'm not talking about our complexion, our skin. But there ought to be a light in us. We get around the darkness, it ought to drive the darkness away. It ought to be such that men's hearts are illuminated. And if the light is in us like it ought to be, it ought to illuminate every corner of their heart to where they see their need for the same light. To dispel the darkness. There was a day when people had that kind of light. There was a day when people literally would just walk through town. A preacher would come to town, an evangelist, a circuit rider. And bars would begin to shut their doors for lack of business. You say, Brother Greg, how'd that happen? There was some light. Charles Finney walking through a textile mill with the noisy machinery going on and could not be heard above the noise of the machinery and yet just the presence of him walking through men would grab the pillars of the building afraid they were going to fall into hell under such great conviction you say brother greg how did that happen because he had some light we go so winning anymore we knock on the door And we're fortunate if one out of a hundred doors will stand there and talk with us about the things of God. Why is that? I believe it's because we lack the light. When the light's there, the, the darkness flees. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could pray and say, God, give us some light. We could spend time in His presence and in His Word and let it give us light that men may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. That men would see us and we would point them to the the Savior. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless it tonight. Lord, just a simple thought. We're thankful for all that you've done for us, Lord, that you have made us a child of the King. Lord, I've rejoiced in that tonight. But Lord, there's a great work for us to do, and I feel like so often we're doing it without your power, without your strength. Lord, if we're to use the phrasing that was used in Scripture tonight that we looked at, Lord, we lack light not that we don't have any but maybe it's just been feeble maybe it's just about to go out maybe we need to get to a place where we say lord i just need some more light i need to increase the time and the amount of uh, uh, time that is spent in your presence maybe our hearts need to linger in your presence more often perhaps it's that we don't spend time enough in your word Father, I pray that you'd help us to have a longing and a desire to do so. Lord, I'm going to give an invitation tonight, and we're going to ask if 
the Holy Spirit has dealt with our hearts that people would respond to it. I ask that you would do a work that we cannot do outwardly. Father, I can't twist anybody's arm and make them make a decision for you, nor can I follow them in their life and cause them to live that decision. But Father, you have allowed your Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And we take him everywhere we go. And Lord, you can have him to help us be drawn to a point of decision. And Lord, he can continue to work in our hearts as we leave here, as we go through our daily life to live that decision. We ask that you would allow him to do so in our hearts. Bless the invitation. Lord, use it as you would see fit tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed.